Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. If you're not currently affiliated with a community, church, or synagogue, and would like to be part of the larger Beth Emanuel family, you can apply for long-distance membership at BethEmmanuel.org slash membership. Shabbat Shalom and Happy Hanukkah. May the light of our Master Yeshua shine in all worlds and also in your world. This Shabbat, which is Shabbat Hanukkah, I want to say happy anniversary to Beth Emanuel. If I have this right, I think our community is 18 years, 18 years old this year. Jeremiah 17.7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. The sages applied this verse from Jeremiah to Joseph. Baruch HaGever Asher Yivtak Baronai. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. In today's Torah portion, we read about the misfortunes and sorrows that befell Jacob's son, Joseph, a man who went from a high place to a low place, to an even lower place. Just when it seemed he had hit the bottom, the bottom gave out, and he hit an even lower bottom. Joseph's life seemed to be conforming closely to the rule of Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will. Yet somehow Joseph remained unfazed, unflappable, confident in God, cheerful in the worst circumstances, an incurable optimist, forgiving rather than bitter, a man of real humility, and honest faith. How did he do that? I'd like to crack the secret formula. If we could figure out the secret behind Joseph's spirit, bottle it up, and start marketing it, we'd be rich. I used to joke that I was going to start a private labeling company which would sell vodka under the name Optimism, and that in the clever design of the label, there would be a measuring line at the midpoint of the bottle labeled, It's Half Full. This is one of my many million dollar ideas, and I just gave it away. Go ahead and take it, but give me a cut when you get rich. Optimism. I mean, Why not call it what it is, right? All that slick marketing behind alcohol makes it look like the more you drink, the happier, more optimistic, cheery, and positive person you're going to be. Isn't that how it works? Of course, that's not how it works. In reality, alcohol doesn't deliver on the promise of bottled optimism. A more honest label for alcohol would be foul-tasting addictive poison, but they don't call it that because that might hurt sales. So that brings us back to square one. Where do we get that positive, can-do attitude like Joseph? The answer is right in the story. Joseph walked with God. The Bible doesn't use those exact words like it did regarding Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. Instead, it shows us through a series of stories how Joseph always put God first, kept God present in his mind, made his decisions based upon his relationship with God, and, despite whatever suffering he had to endure, resolved to trust God for the good. As we study through the Joseph story, I would like to take the opportunity to point to Joseph's example and learn a thing or two about what it means to walk with God like this, seeing if we can figure out how to bottle it up and start marketing it to ourselves under the label walking with God. One of the most difficult things we deal with in life is disappointment with others. Life throws 
few tests more difficult to pass than when those we love or feel close to disappoint our expectations or just outright injure us with unkindness. The wounds inflicted by those we love, by parents, by siblings, by spouses, by children, by family, cut the deepest. Those are the people we trust the most, and we rely upon them for our sense of affirmation and spiritual, psychological wholeness and well-being. So when they betray that, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it's traumatizing. Good friends are next in line to hurt you the most, and your fellow disciples, brothers and sisters, are high on the list too especially since we expect them to be godly, principled people governed by biblical ethics. That's a recipe for disappointment and disillusionment. Suffice to say that Joseph had every reason to be morose, bitter, unhappy with his life, and angry with God, over and over again. But he wasn't. Because Joseph walked with God, and he trusted him completely. God was always on his lips, always present in his mind, and always close at hand. The story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife illustrates the point. When Potiphar's wife approached Joseph and said, Lie with me, he had every reason to give in to temptation. After all, he's a slave. It's the most ordinary thing in the world for slaves to be used like that. He's supposed to obey. Potiphar would never find out. It's not Joseph's fault that he's in that situation. It's God who put him there and made him a slave in that household. He had a million excuses and reasons to give in. And it was a real temptation. So how did he pass this test? Look at how he replies. There's something unexpected about his line of argument. Joseph does not object to the proposition on the basis of its outright immorality. After all, he's in Egypt where sexual immorality was just something to have with coffee at breakfast. Instead, he objects on the basis that Potiphar has been really good to him. Joseph explains to Potiphar's wife, Look, don't take this wrong. It's nothing personal. It's just that your husband trusts me and has been really good to me and made me his top slave in charge of everything. He's withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. So how then could I do this great evil and sin against him? Well, that's how you would expect him to conclude the argument. How could I sin against my master Potiphar, who has been so good to me? But that's not what he said. Listen to what he really says in Genesis 39, 8-9. He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph refuses her advances and passes the test because he does not want to sin against God. He cites all the kindnesses that Potiphar has done for him and the honor with which Potiphar has entrusted him. But then he attributes all of that not to Potiphar, but to God. Of course, committing adultery with Potiphar's wife would be a sin against Potiphar, but that's not the thought deterring Joseph from committing the sin. Instead, it's the fear of sin against God. 
This explains why King David says in Psalm 51, Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The commentaries rightfully point out that, in reality, David also sinned against his loyal soldier Uriah the Hittite when he committed adultery with his wife. He also sinned against Bathsheba. And then he brought Joab into his treachery when he arranged for Uriah to be slain on the battlefield. So how can he say, Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight? And why does Joseph say, How could I commit this great evil in sin against God? The Master teaches us that the whole of the Torah and all of the commandments hang upon two principles. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But the apostles also teach that it's not possible to do one without the other. The one who says, I love God, but does not love his neighbor, is a liar. How can you love God whom you have not seen while hating your neighbor who you do see, the latter being made in the image of God and visibly representing God on earth? Therefore, we should show love and goodness to our fellow human being, not out of loyalty to our fellow human being, who is imperfect and will ultimately disappoint, but out of loyalty to God. And to sin against your fellow man is to sin against God. To love your neighbor as yourself means do not do unto others what is hateful to you. Treat others the way you would want them to treat you. But there's a deeper meaning behind the words, love your neighbor as yourself. For who is the true self? Not the flesh, not the animal, not the evil inclination, not the broken psyche, but the spiritual self, the neshama, which is made in the image of God, a spark of the divine light, the observer, that self. To love your neighbor as your self, then, is to love your neighbor as the inner light and being within you, which is a glinting of the light of Hashem. You shall love your neighbor as Hashem. For only in your neighbor who is made in Hashem's image will you see Hashem. And so Joseph realizes that to sin against Potiphar would be a sin against Hashem. One more thing about Joseph's argument against the temptress There are two paths of service to God. Whenever we obey God against our own will and desires, it's for one of two reasons. It's born either out of fear of God, the fear of God, or the love of God. Levertov likens the fear of God and the love of God to the two wings of a bird. Just as a bird needs both wings to fly, so too the mitzvah needs both the fear of God and the love of God to ascend to heaven. So it's not as if one is right and the other is wrong. Both are proper motives for serving God. But the love of God is superior. As the apostles say, perfect love casts out all fear. In other words, love for God is the higher path. Joseph argues, that it would be improper for him to sin against God after God has been so good to him through the hands of Potiphar. Most people probably would not feel that way. 
As a slave in the house of Potiphar, Joseph might have lived in a state of dejection and bitterness. I mean, he had a lot to be bitter about. The, emo the emotional wounds over how his brothers had betrayed him, how he had been sold, how he'd gone from a position of a favored son to that of a lowly slave. But Joseph did not let his circumstances dictate his life. He refused to succumb to, to depression. Instead, he diligently set his hands to his work and quickly won the confidence of his new owner. From where did Joseph find the inner strength to rise above bitterness? I mean, some people cannot seem to, let, to, to, to ever let go of past wrongs, real or imagined, and they wallow in self-pity and anger, holding on to old resentments as if that is their new identity. This seems to be a normal human reaction Someone like Joseph, who can shrug off even the worst of circumstances and make the best of whatever situation in which he finds himself, is exceptional. The difference was that Joseph had an unshakable confidence in the goodness and faithfulness of God. He knew the stories of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew the promises that he stood to inherit. He did not suppose that God had forgotten or abandoned him. Instead, he humbly submitted himself to God's higher mysterious purpose. Since God had put him in a position of being a slave to Potiphar, he resolved to do his job as if he worked for God, not Potiphar, and he was successful. This also explains how Joseph first rose to such prominence in Potiphar's household. The Torah says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. In what manner did Potiphar see that the Lord was with Joseph? Rashi explains that it was not that Potiphar could see the Lord was with Joseph. Rather, it was because Joseph always had the name of heaven on his lips. In other words, God was always on his lips. Rashi derives this answer from Midrash Tanhuma, where the sages ask the same question. How did Potiphar know that the Lord was with Joseph? Let me read you a passage, this passage from Midrash Tanhuma, which comments on this verse. In reference to this question, Jeremiah 17.7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Is it possible that the wicked Potiphar could see that the Holy One, blessed is he, was with Joseph? So what does it mean then that Hashem was with him? However, it means that the name of the Holy One, blessed be he, never left Joseph's mouth. He would say, Master of the world, you are my surety, my bitakon, you are my patron, so grant me favor kindness and mercy in your eyes and in the eyes of all those who behold me and in the eyes of Potiphar, my master. And Potiphar would say, what are you whispering? Are you speaking spells of sorcery? He answered, no, I am praying that I should find favor with you. Therefore it is written, his master saw that Hashem was with him. According to this explanation, Potiphar realized that God was with Joseph because he observed Joseph prayed without ceasing. In other words, Joseph was in a continual and constant conversation with God. This is the principle of mindfulness that I've been advocating and that we are all working on and in which we are all slowly improving. We, as a community, 
as a congregation are becoming more Joseph-like, practicing the presence of God, keeping God in mind, praying without ceasing, keeping in fellowship with the unseen God, being still and knowing that he is God, keeping our souls ever before him. It seems that every time Joseph spoke, he was saying something about God. He never took credit for his accomplishments. Instead, he attributed them to God. He never blamed others for wronging him. Instead, he entrusted himself to God. In every conversation, God was on his lips. When he was asked to interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker, he responded by saying, Do not interpretations belong to God? When Pharaoh asked him for the meaning of his dream, as we see in next week's reading, Joseph responded, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He went on to interpret the dream, referencing God in every other sentence. When he named his two sons, he mentioned God for each naming. When he introduced his sons to his father Jacob, he said, They are my sons whom God has given me here. Even while he was concealing his identity from his brothers, he told them, I fear God. When he saw his brother Benjamin, he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. And when he finally revealed his identity to his brothers, he said, God sent me. God sent me before you. It was not you who sent me here, but God. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. God was always on his lips because God was always on his mind. I don't mean that Joseph used God's name casually or, or irreverently, as some people do, to put on a religious pretense. He did not use God's name as a punctuation mark, praise the Lord, hallelujah, or toss it about in meaningless religious banter. He sincerely placed God at the center of his world, and as a result, his conversation was always seasoned with a God-centered perspective. So Potiphar observed that God was with Joseph. And the reason that God was with Joseph on such a revealed level was that Joseph was with God. Joseph walked with God. He had unshakable confidence in God. And God was always on his lips. And he attributed everything that happened to him to God. And he kept a positive attitude of bitakon, trust. Nevertheless, Bad things continued to happen to him. As you know, after passing the test of the temptation with Potiphar's wife, he received no reward for his fidelity. Instead, he was falsely accused and punished for a crime he did not commit. But that did not shake his faith or his confidence in the goodness of God. And it did not break his spirit of relentless optimism. What do you do when you are blamed for something you didn't do? The natural response is to protest and feel angry, bitter, and resentful. The Bible recommends a different attitude. The Apostle Peter says that, If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. In other words, we should not be quick to try to exonerate ourselves. Even though we may suffer grave injustice, God is the ultimate judge and his judgment is always fair. We should entrust ourselves to him rather than constantly pleading our own case. In the same passage, Peter says that we have been called for this purpose. 1 Peter 
That doesn't sound like a very nice calling. Who would want to be called for the purpose of being wrongly accused? Peter points out that when we suffer unjustly, we are following in the pattern of Yeshua who suffered unjustly for us. For you have been called for this purpose, since Messiah also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself, entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2.21 23. Brother Lawrence said, Whether God leads us by suffering or by consolation, all is equal to a soul truly resigned to him. He says, Pain and suffering would be a paradise to me so long as I can suffer with my God. The greatest pleasures, on the other hand, would be hell if I relished them without him. But when our minds and hearts are filled with God, suffering becomes full of unction and consolation. What is the secret to Joseph's optimism? How do we learn to walk with God like Joseph did? How do you live a life of confidence and faith in God? How do you get to the place where you can live according to the Master's teaching, do not worry about tomorrow? In his teaching, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. How do we fulfill his teaching that says, do not worry about those who can harm only your body? To be like Joseph and to be like our master's disciples who lived their lives in strict compliance to his words, we need to have the certainty and confidence that everything that happens is in God's hands. And whether brought directly by him, or permitted by him, which are arguably different sides of the same coin, everything comes from God. This is called bitachon, trusting. This does not mean that a person does not have free will, and it does not mean that God is the source of evil, and it doesn't mean that evil is good, or that the devil is secretly an agent of God, or anything like that. It only means that, on a higher level, God is in control, and absolutely nothing is random or happenstance, and nothing escapes his notice. As the master says, not even the sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of your father. As I so often point out, Yeshua doesn't say that sparrows don't fall to the ground. They do every day. But they do not do so without God. To walk with God in Bitachon is to believe and to know that everything is in God's hands and, ultimately, under his control and supervision. This is what John the Immerser taught. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Joseph believed that God is good. This means that no matter what happens, no matter if it is good or evil, it ultimately works out to the good in the end. To trust in God A person must believe and know that he is good and trustworthy, not capricious or unconcerned or absent, but good and good to us. And he knows what is best. He loves you like a father loves his child. 
and will only do good for you. This is what the master taught when he said, If you ask your father for bread, will he give you a stone? Or if you ask him for a fish, will he give you a serpent? This does not mean that nothing bad ever happens. Lots of bad things happen to Joseph. Bitachon does not mean that bad things never happen. It means that when bad things do happen to us, we still trust we still trust God that ultimately he is good and all that he does is for an ultimate good. As Brother Lawrence says, God knows best what we need. All that he does is for our good. If we knew how much he loves us, we would always be ready to receive both the bitter and the sweet from his hand. It would make no difference. All that came from him would be pleasing. The worst afflictions only appear intolerable if we see them in the wrong light. When we see them as coming from the hand of God and know that it is our loving Father who humbles and distresses us, our sufferings lose their bitterness and can even become a source of consolation. In Joseph's case, Joseph was hated by his brothers, the people he trusted and loved. They betrayed him. Few things could be more emotionally painful than betrayal from family, parents, siblings, children, spouse. Joseph felt it deeply, and the Torah shows him weeping a lot. But nevertheless, he floated on top of the pain. He did not drown in it. The life of Joseph exemplifies a life of bitakon, trust in God. So does the life of Reb Nachum of Gimzo, who no matter what befell him would say, this too is for the good. So does the life of Rabbi Akiva, who said, everything Hashem does is for the good. That was Joseph's secret too. He didn't find his optimism in a bottle. <laughs> he found it in God. That's why Joseph did not slip into despondency. Not only did he believe that everything that happened to him came from God, he also believed that everything God does is good. Therefore, he had no fear, no worry, and no complaint. This is why the sages applied the verse to him that says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Thank you.